0: is playing for the national title. It's too long and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out?
1: Who's What's up Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from Sports Illustrated, allsyracuse.com with episode 49, The Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Hoffman Sausage Company and Bet Online. I am here with the man, the myth, the legend, Josh Crawford, to break down Syracuse's 59 to nothing win over Wagner, something Alabama didn't do this week. So the Bring On Bama talk continues for another week. And Josh, it was, I think, what we all expected in all seriousness, but Syracuse did pull off the win. Uh, give me, you know, two or three of your main takeaways from what was about as dominant as it gets on both sides of the ball.
0: Um, I mean, my first big thing is I think I talked to you about last week. Um, I know I just have, a, a, I guess, an enhanced perspective on it, you know, being a, just coming just coming off the field. You know, it's easy to get up for the big games, a like um, FSU, or Clemson, some of the other games that you have coming up down the road. But, you know, like the true testament to a team's maturity and, you know, their integrity is what can they do, um, A, when they're severely overmatched, or, which I don't think this Q team will go up against this season, being a P5 team, or a situation where they're uh, severely the, the, the big dogs, the favorites, in a situation like they were on Friday, Saturday. So, you know, we talked about what they needed to go out and do, but. You know, there's, there there's always a gap in discussion and execution. And it was nice to see that this team, for the most part, did what they are supposed to do, stayed out of the way, stayed healthy, and um, handled their business like a mature football team is supposed to do. Because, you know, I don't care what what level of football you're playing. It's hard to shut a team out for four quarters. So to do that, kind of flex that defensive muscle a little bit, you could have gave everybody one of Tony Weiss uh, awards this week. And to see, you know, Garrett kind of get back on track you know, not, uh, no incompletions, I think. Uh, you know, Sean was pleased with his performance. So everything that we talked that needed to get checked off got checked off. And that's something that, you know, it could be easy to overlook, but I see signs of, you know, a mature football team. So that's, uh, that's my big one for me.
1: Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today, or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEVE fifty B L E A V five zero to receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts yeah i mean 17 for 17 from schrader like you said uh 238 yards couple of touchdowns ran for another sean tucker uh that was the one thing w- the main thing i said was was my big thing going into the game was to re-establish sean tucker and have him get that breakout game 232 yards just 20 yards short of the syracuse program single game record Uh, And then the three touchdowns somehow that wasn't good enough to get ACC running back of the week. I saw you Uh, were upset
0: about that, sir.
1: Instead, Well, Hassan Hall got it from, from Georgia tech. He had 157 yards against Pittsburgh, uh, but he had zero touchdowns. And again, if you go look through the running backs this week in the ACC, there's really only two that had decent games. It was Tucker and Hall. Those were your choices. Almost everyone else had like 50 or 60 yards or less. and and only a couple of them scored. So it was not a banner week for ACC running backs. That said, 232 yards and three touchdowns is better than 157 yards and no touchdowns. Now the competition level, I understand Syracuse played Wagner, who is, perhaps the worst FCS team in the country, certainly in the discussion. And Georgia Tech played Pittsburgh, who's supposed to have a good defense and has a history of having good defenses under Pat Narduzzi, especially good defensive lines and and had a pretty good run defense coming in. Um, But again, he didn't score. So I think three scores against an FCS team, is that better than no scores against a Power Five in-conference team? You know, that's up for everyone to debate, but no scores. And then when you look at it, he had a 63 yard run towards the end of the game that kind of helped seal the game, Hassan Hall did. And if you take that run away, he had 19 carries for 94 yards. So a little less than five yards a carry, a good day, a How solid about day.
0: Not a solid day of work for sure, though.
1: Yeah. So if, if he finished the game with 19 carries for 94 yards, but no scores, you'd say, yeah, he had a good game. He had an impact on the game. You wouldn't say, wow, he is the best. He was the ACC running back of the week. He has one 63 yard run where he didn't score. And that all of a sudden makes him that I am I'm, I'm not sure I buy it. There's a discussion there. There's uh it's not an egregious argument. I would just lean towards the guy who scored three times over the guy who did. That's my personal preference. That said, um, it was important to get back on topic. It was important for Syracuse to establish Sean Tucker. They did that. He had his breakout game, as you mentioned, he's finally pleased with his performance. Um, and so Syracuse can sort of check that box, the defense. I don't think is getting enough love for this performance. And I get it's Wagner. I get that it was so dominant that they had to shorten the quarters in the second half to 10 minute quarters. Crazy, crazy in the college. Never seen that. Never seen that. And I don't know that you'll ever see it again. So I understand all of those things, but Syracuse held Wagner to 50 yards of total offense, 19 passing yards. I went back and looked in the record books It was the ninth best defensive performance in Syracuse football history in terms of total yards allowed. Every single other one that was every single instance in the top 10 prior to this game was from the 1950s or sixties. It had been 60 years since Syracuse had had a defensive performance like this. And they've been playing FCS teams for the last, you know, 10, 15 years, whatever it is, since this became a thing on a regular basis. So it's not like they haven't had opportunities to play inferior competition. They dominate at this level. But all of the rules are set up to be advantageous for the offense. And even with all of that, playing your backups for the entire second half, where at that point you'd figure maybe someone is a little lax and misses one assignment and someone can get off 20, 30 yards and all of a sudden all of those – things with your record go away none of that happened and as as good as we know that this defense has been all season i still think 50 yards against any division one team fcs or not is still something that's that's impressive and it's the first time you've done something in 60 years kudos to them so i think another another box that they can check off to to steal a term from from yourself
0: no i I mean i guess it's at any level of football Elementary, no, I'm not elementary, Peewee, middle school, high school, seven on seven. Getting a shutout, it, it's a big deal. Putting a goose egg, you know. You start off the game with a goose egg to keep it on there. Like, like I said, it keeps it. It's a total effort and commitment um, from your defense, uh, not only your ones, uh, your starters, your stars, but like you said, some of your back some of your young guys that are rising up to the cage and you know stepping in the shoes correctly of some of your your veteran leaders and you know continuing to trend. So it's it like it, it's it kind of it, it all it, it is all intertwined. Talking about how veteran mature uh, a group this is, I don't think I don't think that this is a team. This is you, this is not an instance that you can have you know seven to eight freshmen starting or being in rotation and something like this happen. This is this group. This happens
1: for a reason. No doubt. Now, before we're gonna have a little fun with this team and and start doing some comparisons here in a minute, but before we get to that. There was one small amount of controversy from this game, and that was regarding the starters going back out for the first possession of the third quarter. Now, Syracuse was up 49 to nothing at the half, I believe it was. It was either 42 or 49 to nothing, uh, one or the other. And Sean Tucker already had 227 yards of offense, uh, of rushing, I should say, and three touchdowns. Schrader had already completed a bunch of passes had his touchdowns and I think everyone pretty much said, listen, the game is over. you've dominated them you you checked off every box you could have hoped for. almost everyone is completely healthy you know coming out of this game. take all the starters out, move on, get the backups their experience. there's no need to throw them back out there. And then Syracuse's first offense possession, out comes Garrett Schrader, outcomes Sean Tucker, and all of the rest of the starters and then, I believe it was the first play was a running play to Sean Tucker. He picks up five yards and he stays on the turf and you could just hear the wind of the carrier dome get sucked out as everyone collectively (gasps) and dead silence for extended period of time. Now he gets up, he walks off under his own power and he's walking around the sideline, never goes into the locker room. Joking around with the coaches and the players, so I, you know, appeared that everything was fine. He came out for the post-game press conference, which I don't think they do if it unless if it was a serious injury. All of that is great, but the decision to put him back out there. Dino Baber said after the game that it was they make their halftime adjustments, send the starters back out to execute those adjustments, and that that was the rationale to keep them in that. Routine right of we're making These adjustments go back out and do You know execute our adjustments I get that What adjustment do you need to make Against Wagner other than Hey guys um, We can go grab Mike McAllister from the press box and throw him out here And he can run for 100 yards and a touchdown Against these guys like I mean That's obviously an exaggeration I would get my butt kicked but um, The point the point Is is made in that This is not a game where you need to make any adjustments. This was not a game where that was, to me, in my opinion, where that was a pertinent thing. I I think it was a mistake to leave him out there. Um, Now, if the reason was because they wanted to try to get him the single-game record since he was only 25 yards away at that point, I can kind of get it to some extent. But your number one goal is to keep him safe and healthy. and It looked like he had been a little banged up going into the game. You know, the last couple of weeks looked maybe he was a little bit banged up. So I think a little exercise of caution there would have been kind of the way that I would approach it. Uh, but he didn't put him back in after that point. So I'm curious what your reaction was as that was going down. And then as you've had time to reflect on it, if you think that Dino made a mistake throwing it back out there, or if you can understand where he was coming from
0: um first of all i did not realize he was that close to i i you know great backs here ernie davis jim brown i didn't realize that i guess i don't know 253 i guess it's kind of low to be a a school record i didn't realize he was that close and
1: it wasn't even Um, any of those guys it was joe morris who has it uh, that's the thing that people don't understand is joe morris has a single game record prior to last year he had the single season record and he has the career rushing record at syracuse he owns all of those Okay. I okay. got It's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer Bratwurst, Jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and Snappy Grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since eighteen seventy nine, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. The more you know. So, I mean, as a,
0: as, a, as, a guy, as a former player, like, I'm sure Sean knew how close he was. That changes everything for me because that's something that, you know, you're talking about legacy and, you know, you're looking at more. If he, he continues to do what he do, this would be his last season of SU football and, you know, just building things beyond this season. Like, yes, I, if he was 25 yards away from the record, I know that for a fact there was no, no going to taking his helmet out until he got that record because that's, for him, one long run. So hindsight is always twenty twenty, but given that information, like I know why they that, that that's the that's it right there because you know Sean's a soft spoken guy. I think we both spoken to him. Hard to get a little information out of him. Not the most exciting, but he's still a ball player today. He he definitely would have knew or any either directly or inadvertently how close he was. So that explains that. But um, I mean yeah, you can definitely look at it and say why are any of the starters going out in um, the second half? But we could also look at this and say this is an offense that we said was' struggling less than two weeks ago.
1: So and it's I probably see- the last time he's really going to have a chance to break that record right? I, I don't know if there's anyone else on the schedule that you look at and say he's got a shot to, to hit 250 yards rushing against yeah. that team. So I mean, that's what
0: I'm saying like I, I, didn't, I did not know that. so would I would have went with you literally before that knowing that because like you said, it, it, it would' not have made any sense other than that that very historical and pertinent reason. But even, you know, talking about some of this offensive continuity, you know, we would have said that, like, we would have liked to see as many successful Gary Strader and Sean Tucker reps as possible in this game. So, you know, we would have expected them to, as veteran guys, again, exercise some sort of level of control and being able to be successful and continue some continuity without getting hurt. But, it, you know, football is a physical game. But I don't think we can say – I know a lot of people even, even, even in the moment reacted, you know, to it. But, you know, let's say – Sean gets the record, and Garrett Schrader sets, you know, a single season completion record, going 20, twenty-one for twenty-one. Seven more passes. A lot more people are happy, and there's a lot more notable. So, I just always say stuff like that. Hindsight's always twenty-twenty.
1: Now that we've got all of our analysis of a fifty-nine to nothing blowout win out of the way, and we've questioned Dino Babers' coaching acumen to a um, serviceable extent, now let's have a little bit of fun let's get into something a little more um, interesting and debatable and, and uh, discussion worthy. And it's the first time that Syracuse is five and zero in 35 years. So let's compare Syracuse to one of the better teams that they've had during that time span. And that's the 1997 Syracuse football orange led by one Donovan McNabb, uh, a big East championship team went to a, a, one of the big bowl games, NFL players all over the roster. Let's go through it. Um, I'm going to take the offense. Josh, we'll let you start with the defense. Compare 1997 Syracuse football to 2022 Syracuse football from a defensive perspective. And I know some of the names you're going to mention are going to make Syracuse fans quite nostalgic about some of the players that have come through here.
0: No, definitely before I start, I, we talk about, you know, you know, we're friends. We we, we we work together on a regular basis. This is definitely a, a full immersion moment for me. I, you know, I, you know, my rally crowd, the South plays the best football. I think I'll stick to my guns on this one. But even some of these names that I did know and, you know, just casual research led me to understand how good they were. Definitely surprised me the type of talent that you had on the mid-90s, you know, even just exclusively a uh, Syracuse team. So uh, talking about this 916. team, um, disrespectful by sports reference, not even giving them a NFL logo next to his name. But uh, Keith Bullock definitely like the uh, Mike Michael Jones of this team, essentially quarterback of the team. Somebody that you know, I guess in 1997 you would have considered a, a Keith Bullock a, a future pro, kind of a lock. His his career turned out uh, turned out what it was, and uh, we I think for Cal we definitely had the a similar projection. Somebody that uh, not only a, a on the field exceptional player, somebody that's you know sideline to sideline guy. You know, really just a nightmare for quarterback and running backs, but also somebody at this point with him having started multiple years. It looks like a veteran leader is somebody that was going to, you know, a group that was even a, a talented group, a group that was going to be mature, wasn't going to make a lot of dumb mistakes and going to do what they were supposed to do, which, you know, led them to being right at the end of the year. So you look at the, that, that linebacker core, you're talking about uh, Antoine Pons, uh and uh, Moreland Greenwood. That's kind of the strength of that team. And um, kind of just seems to be a trend of if you want a historical, successful SU team, get some good linebackers. Because, again, we're looking at some of my guys, some of my friends, but also some of the greatest SU linebackers in uh, history, and um, and, and uh, Marlo Wax. Just because of, again, talking about some of the things they do off the field. But just the, just the versatility. You know, Marlo essentially is, you know, the starting defensive end this year. Even in, you know, preseason fall camp, he's lining up with his hand on the ground. So with the ability to have, you know, a path fishing threat from him and also to, to you know, cover a slot, you know, make plays uh, in the in the field as we've seen him do this year. That just brings a whole different element to a scheme because you can't pinpoint that guy and say, I know he's going to line up there. You know, I hate to, you know, put this big comparison on him, but um it, it, it kind of acts in terms of just that particular element. You can look at a guy like, you know, Micah Parsons, where you can't see where he's going to line. I know you might not like that too much, but you can't <laughs> see where he's going to line up every play. That just throws things out of steam. So you're looking at that 97 team and this 20 this 2022 team. The foundation of the defense and the success is the same way. You got three super talented linebackers. Um, you know, obviously, you know, with this team talking about a guy Steph Thompson, you know, going down filling that that role of Morland Greenwood as a a super a superior college uh, guy, but um, somebody that's not gonna make it to the league. You no, know, I don't think it, I think it's too early, I guess, to write that book on Steph. But um, I think he's he's. Safely satisfied himself as a quality, you know, HC linebacker starting as a super as as guy on campus. So, um, if it's going to be Derek McDonald, it's going to be Leon Lowry. If this, um, this issue team wants to look like that tw- 99 to 17, somebody's going to have to be into the get into the mix of that third linebacker role. And, um, you know, Derek has looked really good even immediately after going with Steph, his health has been a little bit up in the air. But, a uh, guys like uh, Sparrow and uh, Leon Lowry, they've looked really good. So, I think that, um, you know, between the talent that they got and Tony White, I think they'll get that, uh, that, uh, that linebacker, that third linebacker situation uh, put together. But then you transition to the skinny guys, the back end, the guys that, you know, they make it happen in the past game. Look at uh, somebody like to Buggy Jones and Donovan Darius. You have what, you know, an inverse of the strengths of this year's team where you're looking at, you know, a dominant safety pairing and the like, complemented corners. So we have that, you know, you got, you got two starting guys at safety. Um, it just shifts the dynamics of your, your secondary a little bit. You're not gonna be running a lot of you know press coverage like you see you know Turner with, right with Deuce and Garrett because it, it's not the same dynamic. Your two best DBs are not as close to the ball, so it just changes up the schemes. So I mean schematically, you're gonna look a little bit different, and this team is a little different. And I would argue that nowadays it is better to have super strong corners than it is super strong safeties. So you know this team probably will be better for the way football is played now. But um, you know it just you know the point being. There's a strong secondary group. Even look at the inverse. You're talking about guys like um, Phil Nadd, Jason Poles, You know, good but not great corners. You, you look at the inverse of guys like Cinco, Justin or uh, Rob, Pond, Rob Hanna. Like again, again, good but not great guys. Serviceable but not guys that you're going to look to make a play. You know, and I would argue probably that I think that this secondary, this safety secondary, has a higher ceiling than the 1997 sec- uh, secondary cornerback group because you even you've seen a guy like JB coming to make an impact right away at the transitioning from offense to defense quickly, and a guy like Cinco um, coming in as a a highly regarded underclass out of the portal, you know, and leading the team in uh, tackles just two weeks ago. So um, I would say that this team, this year's iteration of the secondary is a little bit more complete and more designed for, you know, the game has evolved in terms of past happiness than that 1997 team. But regardless, you know, working your back, you're in, you're, you're working your way back to front you know, it's kind of similar in terms of the defensive line play. Um, nothing too notable, you know, kind of hurts my heart. You know, Mike, too, is a, is a bigger guy. And you love to see the big boys eat, but not a lot of eating done by these big boys for, um, you know, either unit per se. Even going into preseason, we talked about, you know, that was the big question, you know, with the SU defense, what did the line look like? I think guys like Steve and Caleb have definitely, you know, showed up and, you know, sparked some of the success that we've seen. But, um, Outside of a guy, for me, a guy like Steve Lynn he just looks the part 6'5", 220, can run like the wind, and really like a pass rusher. That would be the only NFL quality guy that I see out of either one of these, these D-line units. So, um, honestly, you look into the both, they're pretty back to back to front. They look very similar, and you can see why both of these teams are successful because, you know, 1-11 to 11 on the defensive unit, there's not a lot of holes
1: absolutely and um you know one one quick uh note on elijah clark i think he's got the potential to become one of those really really good or potentially great defensive backs um he but he's he's certainly got uh a little ways to go and the good thing for syracuse fans he's got a few more years of eligibility left so um i still think uh high expectations for him filming so over to the offensive side of the ball obviously it's not fair to compare anyone to donovan McNabb, right um Probably the best quarterback in Syracuse football history. Um, I think the best quarterback in Philadelphia Eagles history, even if you want to, Take Nick Foles because he won the Super Bowl. I get all of that. But I
0: was talking about Jalen Hurts, sir. I thought
1: Jalen Hurts. I love these on Jalen Hurts of, right now. I'm about but, to say. But he is he is not uh at Donovan McNabb's level. Now he's he keeps progressing like he is, he's gonna be in that discussion. But I think right now, if you're looking at Philadelphia Eagles history and you're being realistic, the two that you're gonna have the discussion on are gonna be Randall Cunningham and Donovan McNabb. Those are gonna be the two guys, and you're gonna pick whoever you like. I am 100 percent biased in picking Donovan McNabb. Um in that discussion, I cannot be objective in that discussion between those two in any way, shape or form. So that was why I made my comments um, about Donovan McNabb being the best quarterback in Philadelphia Eagles history, because again, I am very biased in that discussion. So the point is, the 97 team is going to have a huge advantage at quarterback because as, as much as we like the strides we've seen from Garrett Schrader so far this season, uh, I don't know that there's ever a world where he's going to be on Donovan McNabb's level. And it's not really fair to compare someone to d because he's just – he's just a different cat. He just, he really is. The interesting discussion to me here is because I think if, if you look at the offensive line, they're probably comparable, right? There's not a ton of pros um, on the 97 team along the offensive line. Uh, This year's team has Matthew Bergeron, who I think is going to be a pro and has a chance to be a, a pretty good pro. The rest of the group is, is, you know, a bunch of, of quality players, but I don't know that there's a bunch of NFL guys there. Maybe a couple of the younger guys have the potential to get there. Uh, but the '97 team is kind of similar, solid unit, good unit for sure at at the college level. Um, but you know, not going to blow you away with NFL caliber talent. The interesting discussion to me is the running backs. Sean Tucker is the best individual player. If you start looking at the running backs, but that '97 team was deep. They had D Brown on it, who ended up top ten in Syracuse football history in in rushing yards. But he was not the number one running back on that team that went to Kyle McIntosh. Um, And then you had Rob Conrad as your fullback who ran for over 300 yards and averaged, uh, you know, 6.6 yards per carry. Um, Not to mention what he could do as a receiver as well um, with, with a bunch of catches um, out of the backfield. And then you had Kyle Johnson who would end up taking over for Rob Conrad once, Conrad um, exhausted his eligibility as your backup fullback. Both Rob Conrad and Kyle Johnson played multiple years in the NFL. D Brown had a shot in the NFL, even though he didn't stick. Um, Kyle McIntosh, I believe, spent a little bit of time in, in some training camps and on practice squads. So, you know, that's four running backs who spent time at one point or another in the NFL on one roster. That's hard to beat, even if Sean Tucker is significantly better as an individual player. And we think pretty highly of LaQuint Allen and the flashes that he has shown so far. It's hard to look at LaQuint Allen or Juwan price or someone else in the running back room and say, yeah, I think that guy's going to be a multi-year NFL guy. We just, we just haven't seen enough to know that right now. So I think from a depth perspective, the 97 team gets an edge, but certainly the the 2022 team gets an edge in individual talent. And then you look at wide receiver. And to me, the, the group, it's not close. It's the 97 team. Um, Kevin Johnson being on that team probably wins it by itself, but then you've got Quentin Spotwood and Jim Turner, who I think was, is, you know, one of those decent college players that not a lot of people remember, but he averaged over 21 yards a catch that. year. I mean, you know, he only had 23 catches, but when he did catch it, it went for a lot of yards and um, Pat Woodcock was a guy who was kind of a rotational guy spot check here and there good punt returner. Um, and then you look at the tight end positions to kind of take it all as one large group of your pass catchers and Syracuse had Roland Williams who would, um, go on and, and win a Super Bowl in the NFL uh, with the with the Rams and, and play several years in the NFL and uh, Kareem Kasim Senseno who would spend some time with the Chicago Bears and um, I, I think he went to another team and spent a couple years there as well so you had two NFL tight ends near tight end group along with Kevin Johnson and even though you know, we are all very impressed with what Aronde Gadsden has done as a tight end uh, from the tight end spot so far this season. It's pretty clear that that 97 team has a pretty big edge there. So if you say offensive lines, kind of a wash, the running back room, depending on whether you're looking at depth or individual talent, both teams have an argument there. Quarterback goes clearly to 1997. And then the pass catchers go clearly to 1997. So I think overall offensively, the 97 team is going to have a pretty big edge here, but it's, it's interesting to kind of compare, you know, especially with, with the style that they played, right. The 97 team was an option offense. They were a run first offense. They took advantage of Donovan McNabb's legs. They took advantage of their deep running back group, rotated those guys to keep them fresh. Um, the fact that they had multiple fullbacks that they could hurt you in different ways. Uh, you know, th- that's a team that, that ran for over 2,900 yards as a team. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, 2,400 yards as a team uh, with Kyle McIntosh running for almost 900 D Brown ran for over 500 Donovan McNabb ran for over 400 Rob Conrad ran for over 300. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that Syracuse had that that could really hurt you. And that put a lot of pressure on opposing teams, 26 rushing touchdowns that season as a team um, averaging over 200 yards a game. So, you know, that's, that's a, a lot of talent on that team. We're not done comparing these Syracuse's current team to some past teams. We're going to have a little bit more fun with it later in the week but uh, certainly interesting to take a look at this year's team that we think has a bunch of dudes that are going to be playing on Sundays and comparing them to some past Syracuse teams that did have some dudes playing on Sundays.
0: No, that was no, – for me, that was interesting. You no, know, again, full immersion process for me, not knowing uh, a lot about, you know, the his, historical, great, historical things that the SU program has done outside of, you know, Donovan McNabb. You know, so I'm just sitting back giving me a history lesson, honestly. Um, one thing that again, for you know, my knowledge, and like you said, just in the interest of nostalgia, you know, you talked a little bit about the difference in offense, talk about you know that run, that option, Navy like offense versus, you know, you look at this offense, spread it out, dime guys up, around that gas or whatever. Um, just give me some nostalgia of some of the things that you know Donald McNabb was doing as a, you know, a prime you know, athlete when that wasn't a common thing in the ACC, like as well as some of the, you know, some of the crazy things you were seeing from McNabb during
1: that time. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's no doubt. And even, even looking schematically at the defensive systems, like Syracuse was playing a very traditional 4 3 back in 97. Now they're running the 3 3 5, which I think if you had tried to run that back in 97, people would have looked at you like you had lobsters crawling out of your head. I mean, it would have been just a crazy thing to even suggest. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to compare and contrast for sure. And um, the, the tease I'll give you is, for, for our next episode, it's the first time that Syracuse is 5-0 since they went undefeated in 1987. So who should we compare this team to since the last time they were 5-0? Mm.
0: Hmm.
1: Intrigue. You'll have to stick around next time and see how that all plays out. But that'll do it for this episode of the Bleed in Syracuse podcast. For Josh Crawford, I'm Mike McAllister, allsyracuse.com. We'll see you next time.